Lions. This is it. The Lions will level the series. They have their cup final. The very moment the Lions won the second test, we'll be looking over all that happened in Wellington and a whole lot more. Welcome to the big kickoff. Good morning and welcome to the big kickoff on 96.4 FM. It's the 2nd of July. Bugo. Good morning, my good sir. How are we? Absolutely great. A bit chilly. It is a little bit chilly. Yeah, yeah I know. Even that. in here it's a bit chilly today. Got a, there's a bit of a cold coming on. And I yeah, think yeah. Everyone's getting I might have to play two voices here today, but we'll <laughs> wait and see. Um, rugby yesterday, did you have a glance at it? Of course we did. Well, only one half because I had to go swimming. <laughs> <laughs> and then kept taking updates. But now it was... Uh, Listen, it's set up. It's what we wanted. Um, I know before we all talked about it, it'd be great if they won one, but now the fact that it's won one, it's just a fantastic big cup final next week now, and the two of them are going to be licking their lips getting to get stuck in, and you can see the interview with Reid. Like he, it's it's going to be some buzz for the rest of the week now. Yeah, yeah. Um, and typical Gatland, he somehow pulls it off. He makes some of these crazy decisions. We all, he's he done it four years ago, and it came off. He might be doing the same thing again. Yeah. Some of them scratch your head, and you never know. You never know. But it's it's brilliant. It's going to be a great buzz next week. It is, and that's that's the, that's we're delighted now that that sets it up for yeah. for a big grand finale. Yeah. Um. So that sets us up to say what's on the show. Yeah. You're gonna put that on me now because I've just completely forgot that that's well, what I'll tends to happen. I, 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 I'll tell you because we're gonna have professionalism Darren here. Yeah, Darren's coming in. Uh, Darren Shields coming in. Um, our rugby correspondent. He, he's going to talk about. Uh, I suppose everything that happened right. uh, so far and his take on it. Uh, we'll also have um, Tink Perform Sport in. Uh, they run a, a, a website about, uh, I suppose, look at pre-season because pre-season has just started for some teams. Some teams are halfway through because summer football's in, obviously. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a talk to the two lads, uh, Ollie and Luke, and it's a good conversation. Happy days. And uh, obviously, we're back in time. We're going to go back to... Uh 1999, I said I'd probably balance it up seeing as I did Liverpool a few years ago, or a few weeks ago, with 2005, so I said, might go to 1999 for obvious reasons, but there's plenty others that happened that year anyway, I'm sure we'll go through <laughs> that. Uh, our traditional Irish starter song? Yeah, this is Something Happens With, uh, I'll, I'll give it the full title, Hello, 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 <laughs> it's Hello. <laughs> <laughs> Dave, 
Yes, sir. Straight on to sports news. Actually, last night. Literally uh, about two hours ago, my good sir. Two hours ago. 55,000 people were in attendance mm. in the Suncorp Stadium in Brisbane for Manny Pacquiao versus Jeff Horn. Pacquiao is a legendary fighter commencing a world tour, not to mention that he is also the WBO welterweight champion. Well, Jeff Horn was. Is, a, is a vast underdog. He does not have many of many talents and alone uh, he doesn't have Pacquiao's experience. Pacquiao is t- t- too fast and powerful. Horn will have to count on age affecting the champion and being inspired himself by this opportunity. How did it end up? Uh, a unanimous decision for the one and only Jeff Horn. He won by a score of 117-111, 115-113 and 115-113. So it wasn't exactly super close. Um, yeah, as I said, I'm, we're kind of reading it as it speaks. Uh, Pacquiao respects the decision. Very gracious, blah, blah, blah. But uh, the good, as it says here in the summary, good news is that it was a very entertaining fight, uh, which is all too rare. And the bad news is that it was another controversial decision. Oh. Ooh, well, the thing is, though, in fairness, when Pacquiao fought Mayweather, he was past his best. Mm. Why is he gone? Why is well, he still gone now? it's kind of been proven now that the shoulder injury was a massive thing as well. Um, but... The guy throws his money around like it's nobody's business. And yeah. it's not necessarily that he spends it like crazy. He throws a lot of it at home. In his, like obviously, he's high up in the political game now in the Philippines. And he puts a lot of his mo- own money into helping his own local areas and this, that, and the other. Yeah. And basically, that's why he's doing it. It's not necessarily for himself or anything at this stage. It's just to keep raising money for what he wants to do back home almost at this yeah. stage. So yeah. you kind of credit him for that. But at the same time... It could be a bit of a farcical one, and maybe that's why he's taking on these kind of guys that that he, giving them a shot. But at the same time, is he going to start losing to all of these guys now at this stage? Potentially on a world tour, is, he, is, he, is, mm. it, is there a political side to this? Do you think? Potentially as well, exactly. Like yeah. behind the scenes, he could be talking some of the powers that be. Look, I'm bringing some money to your area. Can you help us out? You know, obviously Australia would be the big power. The likes of Japan and China, obviously on that side, but Australia would be a big help to the kind of that that, that swing of countries yeah, up there. Yeah, so yeah. it could be a case of look, I'm bringing. X amount of million to Brisbane, help me out here. You you scratch our back back home in whatever it may be. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, an Irish man on the undercard? Oh, Michael Conlon. Yeah, um, he won on third round stoppage. Um, the reports are basically his body shots were kind of pretty devastating, but typical him, he's kind of bored, not too impressed, and just wants to go and get it on again. Um, he's hoping to be on a card in the September 22nd, which I presume is the big super fight between Golovkin and... Saul Canelo Alvarez. Yeah. Um, but he said the ultimate would be he's dying to get on the undercard of McGregor and Mayweather because obviously he had McGregor walking him out in his debut. So I think he wants to get in on that as well, just to kind of make it a bit of a instead of it just being a Mayweather promotion show, he kind of wants a, the Irish to mix it up as well. Like. Yeah. So that's what he'd love to do as well. It'd be, it'd be some undercard if he was on the, the, ah, the exactly. Mayweather McGregor. Because Paddy Barnes has been giving it the big one as well, like on Twitter, as you can imagine, the, the, the mess of that he is. Like, so it could be a cracker. It would be an, an opportunity missed by, I think it's mostly Mayweather promotions. Sure. If they didn't get some of the ah, Irish They have to it. kind of have a bit of an Irish team. They have to have one or two in because there's going to be so many the trying to get in anyway. And then pay-per-view, the whole shebang. It, it's massive. Um. A little story that I seen there uh, last night. Ruben Neves uh, nears his move from Porto for 17.5 million to Wolves. Wow. Despite interest from Chelsea and Liverpool. Is this kind of... He's only 20 now. He's, um, and he's going to the championship. Is this kind of shown 
how strong the championship is now that possibly that have they new owners did they finally they, get new owners they was got new owners because there was yeah, a guy I, Morgan I think was his name he was rumored to be looking at Liverpool about 15-20 years ago because he's a uh, he's from Liverpool they're Chinese owners right. so there's obviously a lot of money in remember they got, they got Walter Zenga in as, sure as look coach at um, Villa yeah. with, with John Terry for the year um, I don't know the exact figure but he'll probably end up getting roughly the same wage he did at Chelsea yeah. so that just goes to show you yeah the, the, the spending power of I these guys I think financially the championship is something like the sixth oh, richest fifth or league. sixth without a shadow of a doubt yeah but without a shadow of a doubt yeah. and anyhow this Neves fellas dubbed the new Paul Scholes in his homeland <laughs> so <laughs> no pressure He's, he hasn't got it yeah like it just goes to show you some of the fees this year it's it, we're kind of we're going to have to retrain our brain to get used to the fact that 60 and 70 million is actually normal now because some of the fees are ridiculous like Liverpool apparently have no problem spending 70 million on this guy Keita and apparently willing to play the same for Van Dijk some of these fees are crazy this year and I think we're just going to have to get used but to they're, it they're, they're stupid fees though, oh they? 100% in agreement but I think we're going to almost have to get used to it that this is especially with the current deal that this is going to slowly be the norm yeah yeah you yeah. know um, any stories there book? oh plenty uh, Bray oh. on Friday night uh, the chairman came out with a statement uh, roughly kind of saying what's the point uh, basically Bray have always been around uh, Devlin did a great job there kind of unearthing a few young guys and really helping them kind of stick around in the Premier Division yo-yoed once or twice but this year they really got back in and really went for it and they were tipped I remember reading up a few of the reviews beforehand and I think one of the, the kind of the guy in the, the League of Ireland expert in the RTE whose name I can't think of right now he actually tipped them for potentially top four which is Europe so he kind of really backed them up this year they backed it up themselves they're in the top four they're competitive they're in the mix and he's already kind of pulling the brakes now because he's like, what's the point? There's no one coming in. He can't get bums on seats. And he'd done a breakdown of they had to let a guy go and everyone was giving out and they said, well, we're not going to stop him. Was th- was, wasn't this though the fella um, that they sold to Dundalk? Yes. The night before they played Dundalk. Yeah, and it wasn't, they didn't even sell him for a great fee or if any fee at all because it's like... In the statement, it's like, he didn't go for 100, he didn't go for 50, he didn't go for 25, not what people are thinking. We, we didn't want to stop him in his development because I think it was his way of saying because he's not going to do it here because I'm not putting all this bloody money in for no reason if people aren't going to come and back us yeah. and support us because then he showed some of the financial, he showed some of the attendances and some of them were half decent for Bray, but they were all the Dublin teams. Yeah. But the big one he made a point of was Derry City. I think there was close to 300 at it. And it was nearly 50-50 between home and away fans. So yeah. when you think Derry coming all the way down and they have half the grounds attendance. Well, yeah, yeah, you have to wonder, and he, he's probably thinking the same thing, you have to wonder why you would have a League of Ireland team if you don't have the backing of the yeah. area that's yeah. there. And there's no one near that area. That no. area is their own and yeah. they can't get people in to watch it. Yeah. So, And I think in this instance, I think it's a fantastic advertisement for the game to really open up a debate. And I think it's a great opening up of a debate without having to lead with the boring and it is boring blame the FAI on it because you can't blame the FAI on this have they linked up with a, a schoolboy uh, I think it's Joey's I think it's Joey's, Joey's too and I think I read yesterday that they there might be a, a chance that Joey's may take over they're looking to merge really? and take over their League of Ireland spot interesting because they're all all the DDSL teams now are looking to oh, try sure, and there's get a big in. furore about um, St. Kevin's Apparently, they're, they're up until, say, yesterday, they were going to be allowed to be in the league. 
and Cherry Arch and all the big wigs went, hold on a That's second. That's in there. the 15s. Yeah, not yeah. a danger. Yeah. So apparently the FBI have come back and said, right, you just need to go back to the drawing board of Bohemians and try and come up with a deal because um, yeah. we're stepping on a lot of toes here yeah. because yesterday... But that's why a, Joe, a good that, mate of mine is a manager of the Cherry Orchard on the 15th yeah. basically they finished up yesterday yeah. in theory because 10 of the lads are going to the yeah, different League yeah. of Ireland so yesterday was kind of the end of the league even though it's only halfway through the season but uh, Kevin's apparently had permission and now all of a sudden it's like no not a danger like we, we can't do this so they're telling them to go back to the drawing board with Bohemians and come up with a deal but anyway going back to the like the FEI debate it is born it's about potentially marketing your brand and marketing football and try and get people in that's not necessarily up to the FEI at this stage this, that side of the game in my opinion so that's why I kind of like that it's come out now and it can get a, a slightly different discussion because the easy option is oh well the FEI needs to throw us loads of money but there's a guy who's throwing loads of money at it and he's still not getting people in he thought a good team might bring in more people and it obviously hasn't no it hasn't I don't know what way they promote down in sure. Bray but listen my idea and it would be a totally I suppose revolutionary is probably not that's a very mm. strong and broad word but my idea would be a different idea altogether if, if I was to lo- do League of Ireland I would get rid of all those clubs and I would bring in a Dublin team Kildare team more county Kerry kind of thing and then you yeah. may get the support that it actually yeah, deserves more tribal kind of thing because almost. there's too many like you have Cork City who have mm-hmm. that's that's great for fantastic Cork, sport alright you have Derry City they get great support well. but even if, Sligo if you ha- if you had the the, the county teams, mm. all of a sudden then there's a bit more tribal feel to it. Maybe there's a bit more support behind it. But yeah. is that going to happen? Um, probably in, you know, not a long time. Jeez, a lot of these old clubs that go bananas. Yeah. Um, do you know Justine Kish? Absolutely not. No. Justine Kish is a UFC fighter. Oh, actually, now, <laughs> I, think I, now I think I know where you're going. <laughs> who was uh, who was in a fight? In the UFC versus uh, <laughs> Herrig is her name. Yeah. And she was in a chokehold, a yeah. very impressive chokehold. Uh, probably one you. of the best chokeholds ever. She actually, Justine Kish, shit herself in the cage. <laughs> <laughs> I can't, know what her phrase. And if anyone wants it, to YouTube it, 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 we're not messing here. I, I think she won the fight. She's fair play to her. I think she was. Everyone was afraid to go near her after yeah. that. No, you're but all right. I, I just seen the image. She probably went in to go in for a clash going, no, I'm not touching her. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't see the fight, but I've seen, seen the, the images yeah. of it, and I just, Ugh. it's all over the place. Well. <laughs> but it shows you how far they're willing to go. They're getting choked so much. Oh, yeah. They're getting the life literally squeezed yeah. out. And <laughs> they're willing to do that. And, and then she win. won. And she won. I think she won. I'm nearly sure she won. Yeah. Uh, in other news, cricket now in Goma here, Shano. Uh, the top players in Australia are all currently unemployed at the moment. Oh. Yep. Basically, they do like a trade agreement every five years where they come up with their, their deals and whatever because obviously the top, top boys will pretty much play for Australia. They, they, they'll flit down a bit like the Ireland and they'll come down and play for their state team from time to time but basically mm. they play. So they do these trade agreements every five years and they haven't yet to come to an agreement. So basically, there's a basically all of elites Australians are currently unemployable and cannot play cricket at the moment and there's that like there's plenty of time but they're already kind of now I think this could be more the players and the players associations kind of fear-mongering but they're kind of going well the ashes is coming up you better get your finger out and come up with an an agreement otherwise there won't be no ashes or or if there will be it'll be a joke so but it's it's not down I, I don't know the ins and outs and it's that's for another time but basically it's not necessarily just pure money if anything they're actually going to earn more but it's to do with um, the way some of it spread down to grassroots 
Yeah. They feel like that's where it is. So it's not actually down to age. In theory, they're all going to earn more money, but it's the way the rest of the money is spread out. That's what they have a problem with. And one or two issues in relation to the women's game, because apparently the women under, there was a bit of a, a leaking out of things and that's where it really kicked off. And I think they were using it to try and gain more power, the player side of it, where apparently with the women have to declare pregnancies either i'm not sure the exact was it before or after i'm not exactly it, it, that's it's, a bit it's much, strange isn't it? so that kind Surely of got that leaked out. Against law. so there was there was loggerheads yeah. and that's why it's kind of really been frozen out so it's not one of these typical stereotypical mm. money things because they're actually going to earn more money but so that could linger it's kind of watch this space but yeah, yeah at the moment australia are currently teamless not, yeah or if they are god knows who's in it uh i just i meant to say it last week uh, ireland were granted uh, test status. That's right, yeah. But they reckon they might, the, 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 the head of Cricket Ireland said they might, it might be up as far as 2019 before they might get it because these calendars are set in stone for so long. So their first game might actually end up against Afghanistan who, who also got test status, which they okay. don't mind, but they're in negotiations to do a one-off in Lords in 2019, which would be pretty special. Okay. Now, that, uh, if it's in 2019, that does me because I don't think I could watch five days or four <laughs> days of cricket. I mean, what sport goes on that long? It's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. The 20, 20, you know, the 50 over is brilliant. But. Um, Steve Collins and Nigel Ben. Yeah, um, it's, Steve Collins says he's doing it for the money. Yeah, and Ben wants closure. Nigel Ben wants closure. Nigel Ben has been pushing it with Chris Eubank. Obviously, uh, to try and get him in, he wouldn't come in. Collins came in, yeah. and uh, obviously, Nigel Ben is desperate for money. So I can only imagine what country's going to approve of this because they said pretty, yeah. pretty much every expert said the British Boxing Board of Control are not going to go anywhere near this. Uh, Eddie Hearn came out and said, "I love the two of them. Uh, one of the big, great groups of fighters in the mid '90s. Fantastic group of lads, great division." But he said, "In fairness, if I see this, I'll actually be sad." And yeah. Yeah. We're going to watch it for curiosity. Sure, a bit like Mayweather McGregor almost. I, yeah, I don't want to bring that up again, but it's kind of like it'll be more just for the spectacle. But if they were still fighting and they had been in and out over the years and yeah. they were still fighting, yeah. it would be interesting. Yeah. But now it's kind of just yeah. too elfil. It's not going to show you over each other, isn't it? <laughs> in a word. So. Okay, right. We'll go for a break. Broadcasting to Lucan. This is Liffy Sound. 96.4 FM Yes, slightly earlier than usual here in the big kickoff. This is back in time and we are at 1999. Mr. Shannon, I'm going to start with golf. Okay, because we'll start in a little bit of a downer because, you know, it's not what we're about. But uh, good old Payne Stewart won the US Open this year. And unfortunately, in the same year, he sadly died in the October. Uh, is in, a helicopter or a plane crash or whatever? No, it was a plane, wasn't it? Yeah. Did but, it crash? Uh, or they don't know. I uh, know this is me. My rem- I'm, for, I'm yeah, thinking just recall, now, yeah. But did he not? Did they not feel that he, he died in midair or something like that? That it was on autopilot or something like oh, that? And, was, and it kept yeah. going. And then it may have worked. Yeah, possibly. Then. But um, he was always one of the great characters we all remember because of obviously wearing Trails plus fours. And, stuff, and, stuff, yeah. and I always said to myself, one of these days I'm going to do the same, but I'm going to wait till I'm remotely half decent before I do it. And not just You're for still a laugh. waiting. Yeah, right? I'm still waiting. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he was a great golfer and he was... and and, and at the, to- the guys at the time, he was one of the good guys and he was liked and... 
he was always somebody who gave it everything. Obviously, he had the great um, deal with the NFL, so he used to wear the colours wherever he was, That's and it was right. always loud yeah, and brown. Yeah. And obviously, he would have inspired, I presume, the likes of Ian Poulter and all these guys who yeah. were all the, the loud guy. But he was a great guy and a whole lot. But another famous story in golf that year. Do you remember a certain Jean Van de Velde rolling up oh his trousers? Oh, my God. And he threw away the open, and all the wife could do was laugh. It was just so French. She was like, oh, it's just, I, so, like, it's just typical. She, I remember Peter She seemed Alice. to love that more so than... We should have got the Peter Alice, Peter Alice clip. Because he literally him. cannot get over it. And what is he doing? What is he doing? Oh, no, 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 John, <laughs> don't, no. But it was ridiculous because he had yeah. shots in hand. He yeah. could have dropped Take and the played. Drop, no, and oh. then obviously... It was the real Tin Cup moment, wasn't oh, it? Oh, 100%. And then obviously local man Paul Laurie uh, was able to win in the playoff then and on John Van der Velde. But the damage was done for him, unfortunately. Um, but uh, it was just one of their memorable open moments cringeworthy because I actually watched that uh, probably a few four or five months ago I just came across it on YouTube mm. and it cringed and you were like no don't do it you were yeah. kind of hoping he wouldn't do you're it you're still watching clip. it going just yeah. do it mate just do it um, just one or two obviously I noticed it as well you know, Michael Johnson 200 metre and 400 metre absolute legend yes he this was the last year but, um, he set a 400 metre world record in that year in uh, I don't know exactly which one and Hicham El Garouge, a Moroccan, uh, set the last mile world record at 3 minutes 43.4. That's quick. That is quick, yeah. <laughs> that's four 400 metres. So that's why I kind of put the two of them together. Like, I think, Michael Johnson, you're talking 42 or 40, I think 43 seconds. So when yeah. you think about it, that's four 400 metres in 3 minutes 43. It's an unbelievable pace. So I'm trying it? to do the maths here. Like, yeah. You're talking about 56 seconds a lot. Basically, that's a full out sprint for you or me. Oh, yeah. To try and it's get about 56, 57 seconds a lap four times in a row. Yeah, without tiring out. Yeah, and phenomenal. You'd still be off the pace. Phenomenal. Um, so that was kind of the general news. We're obviously going to go to the meaty part after that. So uh, we know where we're going after this song, but we're going to start with red hot chili peppers with uh, scar tissue. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. We have our uh, rugby correspondent, <laughs> Dara Shields, who is uh, who's Fresh in from New Zealand. It's great. All our guests, are, are anyone who is working with us, always come in early. They're very punctual yeah, people. Yeah. We have them whipped into uh, into action. Uh, welcome in there. Uh, hold on, Dara. No. Oh, we're on now? Yes, you're on now. Oh, you're on. Great. Um, what was I going to say? 99, bugger. Yeah, I don't. I've nothing else. Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> Michael Jordan retired that year. Ah, good man. Yeah, the absolute hero. Do you know one of the fun facts I know about Michael Jordan? He had a he had a contract with Wrigley's chewing gum, and basically, this is like this is classic. Anytime he was a close up of just his face chewing chewing gum, he got a thousand dollars. No way. So obviously, I presume he had a a standard salary often but basically anytime it was just a zoom in his face and he's chewing chewing and he got a thousand dollars from Wrigley's fantastic I hope it's true <laughs> was it said on the same? Uh-huh. oh so Jesus but uh, yeah he was an absolute hero like obviously whether you, whether you know basketball or not everyone knows who Jordan was and everyone knows how good he is and 
he's just absolutely monster. Like he, yeah. he'd be like the tiger. Like obviously Nike obviously play a part in it, but he was just everyone knows who he Out is. Out of the world. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So anyway, ninety nine. I suppose we have to talk about it. Serena Williams. Oh, is it? No, no. no Serena Williams. I like where this is going. Sean. She yeah, won her first uh, Grand Slam tournament. Uh, the US Open. She's obviously out of Wimbledon coming up uh, next week because uh, she's bad injury. Currently with child. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Some might say that. good injury. Yeah. Depends when you have the kids. Then they're we, bad we won't injury. talk about her, <laughs> we won't talk about her sister yet. But uh, yeah, she she her preparation hasn't gone to oh, plan yeah, either. Yeah, but that's for that's we'll for talk about that later on. Uh, oh yeah, my dog sled championship stats are back today. And uh, the I do, I dog sled champion was Doug Swingley. Doug Swainley. And his lead dogs were Cola, Elmer, and Stormy. <laughs> Top dog. <laughs> Listen, we might as well uh, stop messing about here. Obviously, 1999 was uh, the new camp, Barcelona. Uh, Man United versus Bayern, Champions League, all done and dusted. Bayern fairly much in control. And then there was just these absolutely barmy three minutes of football. There's a YouTube clip here. We're going to have a little listen to it. It's basically the last three minutes of just madness. We might come in and out because we're not too sure how it goes, but... Listen, we'll have a listen and see how it goes, but this is the crazy last three minutes of United of Bayern Munich. Actually, I actually know what this is. This is basically, it's the actual footage from a uh, dodgy angle, but there's no commentary. But that's no good, then, bugger for uh, us, No, we it? failed. This is professional, <laughs> especially when you only have, like... What's your memories on the, 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 that cup final? If... I was torn, you know, you're a Liverpool fan, but at the same time, you do have that little sneaky kind of, you want to see the English teams do well, but the fact that it's United, it's, it's a very 50-50. But at the same time, Bayern were the better team on the day. They were not necessarily all over them, but they were fairly much in control, doing a stereotypical German job and probably should have put one or two other chances away. I think Yanker, an overhead kick off the bar and a few. Yeah, yeah. United weren't exactly poor, but it just wasn't clicking. Now, obviously, maybe missing the likes of Scholes and Keane. But it was done and dusted, and then all of a sudden, just madness. Just absolute madness. Yeah, yeah. One all, you're thinking, okay, it's wide open, extra time, penalties, whatever. But fair play to United. No, they smelled blood and they went for it. And that was the, the brilliance of that team at the time. At the time, it's. It, I, was, I remember I was, I was down in the pub watching them. Yeah. And Neil Dobbs was sta- sitting beside me. <laughs> and there was, it was the 89th minute. Oh, yeah. So and, I'd say Liverpool I, fans I, were cranking my hand, there. my hands were in my head, and I was like, "Oh God, this is you know all this time, and we had a great <laughs> chance." And, and Neil Dobbs sitting beside me, they're gonna win it. They always win it. They always do it. They no and way. I said, "Yeah," and I said, "No, not at that. look how if they get one back, I'd be absolutely delighted." Extra time, of course, three minutes, and he, I look around at him, his arms are folded. Told you, told you. <laughs> so even every other fan had that thing of. They don't give up they, that, over the three or four seasons. No, you're not surprised. No, you're absolutely surprised. not. You're not surprised how it goes because you know they did. Actually, they did it. They, they they did it a couple of months before that. We were in after one of our matches. I'll always remember your dad bloody no, really giving it to me. They done it against Liverpool in the FA Cup same year. Did they in the third round? I think Owen scored very early. Liverpool were hanging on to their life, and he's got the two goals, and Scotia got the famous one. Right. So the evidence was bloody there, and it's, that's probably where Neil was coming from. Going, I've seen this before. And of course, that year was un- incredible for them. Like the the, the FA Cup semi final against Arsenal, what a semi final! Yeah, another one dead and buried. Bear camp last minute, put the penalty away. It's all over. Well, those drama Everything changes. Th- there was, course, there was drama in that because King got sent off. Yeah. Then there was a penalty. Yeah. Michael saves the and penalty. Of course, and of course, the hairy chest himself. And uh, of course, you have the clip for that one, dude. 
Why? No. No. Why no, would no. I? Clip rack. It's not Liverpool. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> My colours are coming out here now. I was like, 99, I'll do it, but I'm not really going to do it. <laughs> so it was a, yeah, it was a top year for, for Manchester. Ah, the treble, you just don't get much better than that. Like, it was just incredible. Um, if you look at the Liverpool and Manchester United final, equally as dramatic. Ah. But uh, in the history, when you look at back at, at, at any history of Manchester United, mm. they were the key moments in, in their history, mm-hmm. you know, because Liverpool needed that trophy to hang on, hang on, yeah. really, as one of the big clubs, yeah. you know, to be seen. kids nowadays haven't a clue. Yeah. They, they know of Liverpool, but they haven't a clue just how big Liverpool are. Yeah. They, they really don't. And only for something like that, it kind of keeps them kind of in the, in the front of the brain, like. Yeah, and, and Man United at the time hadn't won the, the, the yeah. European Cup, Champions League since because it was the 60s, they've only won so. it the once, and a lot of people look at going, you know, they're not Fluke. really one of the greats, Fluke, do you know what I mean, yeah. kind of thing. So they were able to hammer home a little bit just how big they were, like. And another quick, I'm just re- remembered a few of our stats here before we finish up. Scotland won the last five nations that year, did they? Before it went to six, yeah, mm. back in '99, and uh, the Euro made year. its debut that year, fourth of January. Our wonderful currency, the euro. Oh, did it? Made its debut in 99. And Gabo finished uh, in the late late after 37 years. A sad, sad moment. I thought we got a bloody Harley Davidson out of it. Oh, and remember the solar eclipse? Where yeah. we were all going blind, staring at the sun disappearing? No? No. All right. No. Just me, so. Yeah. No. But uh, yeah, that was 1999. I'm going to gloss over it quickly because I'm bored of talking about United. Go on, play But some. Uh, yeah, this is Fats and Small with Turnaround. to Lucan. This is Liffy Sound. 96.4 FM. And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffy Sound 96.4 FM. Also on TuneIn Radio, but not today. <laughs> We're having problems with TuneIn Radio today. We won't go into that. Uh, have a look at us on Facebook. We're, uh, Gmail is the big kickoff 96.4 at gmail.com if you want to uh, throw any questions our way. Yesterday in Wellington, the British and Irish Lions took on uh, an exciting 21-24 victory to level up the series. And joining us in the studio to give his view on all that happened and all that could happen is our rugby correspondent, Darren Shields. Good morning, Jess. Good morning, Darren. A win. What would you say about the win, Darren? Makes an actual proper test series out of it now for a start. So at least we have... Something to look forward to as opposed to the, what everybody had thought was going to be a dead third game with, you know, nothing really to play for. Now you've actually got something to look forward to and something for Sky to hype to oh, the yeah. ends of the earth, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was watching the game and increasingly getting more and more frustrated with uh, Villapola. Oh, dear. My God. Now, I'm not a, 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 a rugby geek. But I know when someone needs to cop on. And what was your take on? Because before they got sent or the, sent to the sin bin, uh, it, it it was 
bad foul after bad foul. It wasn't even foul after foul. There were bad areas to be giving them away. Yeah, and, and they were, but they were the, they were the stupid, easy stuff mm. to sort out. It was late hits. It was just trying to muscle himself around in places where he didn't need to. He'd obviously taken out some personal vendetta against Bowden Barrett at 10 because both of the really obvious fouls that he'd been called up for with the ref where they kind of laid shoulder on him after Bowden had uh, cleared the ball out. Yeah. And then there was the alleged clear out from the rook when Barrett was nowhere near the rook or near the ball. So they were, they were both things that easily could have been avoided. And yeah. coming from the first game and from the vast majority of the build-up matches, the biggest problem that they've had has been discipline. You know what I mean? Giving away penalties, letting teams back in, uh, conceding territory because... You know, you know. As soon as you concede a penalty, you're going to lose forty, fifty meters minimum of field position. Yeah. So you're looking at that going. If it was a fifteen-year-old on a pitch, you'd have gone bananas at him. Yeah, and you would, and you would, and you would have put it down to inexperience. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and a, a little bit. You know, playing a big game and getting all excited about it and thinking you're going to make it. He's probably thinking to himself, I've got about five more minutes left on the pitch, ten more minutes left on the pitch maximum before I get subbed off anyway, as they do with the front rows in and around the between 50 and 60 minutes. At some point, he must have been thinking, oh, yeah, I, I, know, I know what to do here. I'll just kind of rough your man up, take a bit of a warning, and then head off. I'll be grand. And you're just looking at him going. I think he was the only person on the planet that thought that. As everybody else watching it could see it a mile yeah, off going, yeah. you are going for a walk, son. Yeah, yeah, and like the in the in the indiscipline was massive yesterday. Hence, twenty one points that New Zealand got were off from silly penalties. Yeah, what can you do Monday to Friday next week to make a difference in that? I, I know it's like all right, don't do this type of foul or don't do that type of foul. But what can you do Monday to Friday to try and is it just get them into their mindset to kind of like lads relax? What what can you do something on the training field to try and curb the indiscipline? Uh, yeah, you can. It's a, it's one of those things. A lot of it comes down to mentality, you know what I mean? And, and making sure that lads are uh, kind of focused in the right way. You can decide early on whether you're going to do your breakdown, you know, really, really contest at the breakdown, which is usually where most of the penalties are conceded. You'll see an awful lot, especially when it uh, comes into the last five, ten minutes of games, um, both teams yesterday were very, very quick to bounce off the tackle area and get up into the defensive line mm. for the last five minutes of the game because it was 21 all or last 10 minutes of the game 21 all you're kind of going right whatever you do don't concede a kickable penalty yeah. and with the players on the pitch mm. anywhere within the opposition half is technically kickable so you when, when when Farrell's conversion went over everyone's mind went in right this is a kick away yeah. So it was nearly pl it was playing for the kick, wasn't oh, it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's where you get that you need that big decision. Like you need a referee that's willing to make a decision and say, "Oh, actually that is a penalty. Yeah. Here's yeah. a chance to win the game to somebody." Because there's always that bit in your mind where you'll get weaker refs will as it was um with that kind of famous New Zealand versus France World Cup final where you could see New Zealand clearly giving away a penalty. Yeah. And I'm looking at the referee and the referee going, you're okay. Yeah. I'm yeah. not going to give it. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead and play on. And it ended up then New Zealand get to win the, the World Cup final for the first time as it was since 87, I think. Yeah. Right? Since that, yeah. So, uh, yeah, that, that's kind of where you need it. But thank God for French referees not caring what anybody <laughs> thinks. And just how big is 
winning technically yesterday two tries to nothing, not conceding a try, not looking like defensively. Obviously, they are quite strong, so it's obviously the, the indiscipline. But just how, just how impressive is it to keep a clean sheet, not gaining across the try line against somebody as powerful as New Zealand? Um, it is impressive, but again, everything has to be taken into consideration that you're playing against fourteen men yeah. for an hour of the game. You know what I mean? And when the four, the player that they're missing is Sonny Bill Williams, who when you looked beforehand and you're looking at, okay, we're going to go with uh, a Sexton Farrell team up there between 10 and 12, which you could see when the Lions actually wanted to play a bit of ball and started to spread it wide. It gives you so much extra width that you've got two world-class uh, ball distributors that can go, you know, from 9 to 10 to 12. Next thing you're out in the outside channel within two passes, which is a phenomenal thing, and made that space then that you ended up with to- Toby Falatau out on the wing with that little bit of space that he could run in from whatever it was, about 10, 15 metres out. The problem you have with that then is defensively, you've got Sonny Bill Williams running at two guys that are 10s. Now, they're both good defensively as 10s, but I don't think either of them are going to stop Yeah, at least a half dozen offloads from Williams and what that leads to then are big line breaks and them getting in behind you and once they're in behind you that's when they destroy you yeah, um, yeah. we've said we said the last time we were on that the biggest problem the Lions had was they weren't finishing chances the All Blacks always finish those chances if it's simple hands if it's a two on one they score 99 times out of 100 so the <coughs> now I, I thought um the winners probably in the selections w- was the Sexton and um, Barrow. They're kind of the Lampard and the Gerrard of, of, the, of the rugby. <laughs> but they stepped it up and, and were able to do it. How well did they do? I thought they were really good. I thought Farrell in, in particular. Farrell has been one of the, the better players for me for the, for the tournament uh, or for the tour. Um, but I thought together, it, w- it was something that we, we kind of headed up the last time when you asked about it. I think when you get two guys that are really, really good players, uh, get on with each other off the pitch, there's never going to be an issue with them going in beside each other and playing. So why was the question marks over? Uh, question marks were you had Ben Teo, who was an absolute beast, who was getting you go-forward ball. And, had, and hadn't put really a foot wrong, had he? Not really, no. I wouldn't have thought so. Um, he gives you that kind of southern hemisphere rugby league background to say right you've got a big rhino over here we've got a big rhino over here and we'll let the two of them run at each other and see who smashes the other one first or hardest and that was working to a point and he does get you go forward ball in that kind of very warren gatlin style way of going forward which is just hit them harder than they hit you and eventually you'll get through this was something different they kind of went it's not going to work trying to out-muscle New Zealand. I think they figured that from the first one. And Gatlin knew that he had to basically change the plan and go for something different because otherwise, it, at the very best, it would have been a close defeat trying to out-muscle the, the yeah. Kiwis. When you try something different, you try to play a bit of ball, you ask more questions of them defensively. Yeah. Like, it was Gatlin damned if he did and damned if he didn't because if he, if he, didn't, cha- if he didn't change and kept the same thing, he'd be slated. Uh, so I, I don't think there's too many people who are in favour of Gatlin. He's not a very likeable character in some ways. Yeah. But then again, he does make certain decisions that 
are, are the hard decisions. But I think that's why he's, that's that's why, he's there. The, the why he's there. And I think when you, why he's damned if he doesn't, damned if he doesn't, is kind of because people want to damn him down. Yeah. Because he, he is an unlikable kind of guy. And fair enough, he does make decisions. He m- does make those tough decisions. And like that, uh, as a coach, you, you basically stand by it. If it works, it works. When he dropped O'Driscoll the last time, he still stand by it because they, they, they won the tour or they won the tour down in Australia over it. So, just on rugby in general, is it worrying that rugby has now gone to a, a, a style that is beef up your players, see who can hit the strongest, and uh, flair is starting to disappear? Uh, I don't know. I don't know if it has or not. I think it did for a while. Um, I think it did for a while, and I think what happened then was you started to see teams, even the likes of the All Blacks, like as you said, they can match teams um, for sheer muscle and power and aggression. But what they'd rather do is they'd rather play rugby around you. So when they play, so if we leave the All Blacks apart as the uh, as the elite, yeah. then you look back then at the the Six Nations. The the the, the I can't I. Don't see a lot of flair. You see sporadical, but if you look at the game in a whole, well, and this is from my untrained eye, yeah, it seems to be a lot of can we go through you? Yeah, probably would be to a certain extent. It depends as well on the style of rugby that you want to play. Um, if you look at the way Connacht played this year under or last year as well under Pat Lamb, their whole idea was to have these second distributors on. So you had second rows and back rows who would come in at first receiver and they would play a ball out the back while also having the option to truck it up with a pot of lads so the rook will get set up and it just it what happens with that style it do it is very exciting but from a defensive point of view the usual way to combat that is with a really really fast line speed and what it tends to lead to is for the first half of a match you just got one team defending really, really hard, coming up and smashing the attacking team who are trying to play a bit of ball. The problem with that and what you do from the attacking point of view is you take it that that style of defense is too hard to keep up for an entire game. So what happens then is as you get into the last half an hour of a game, the team that wants to play ball starts to find gaps Yeah. because the team who's been defending so hard for you know, the first 50, 60 minutes of a game just start to not come up as quick. Yeah. They don't come up as a line. One guy might be a little bit delayed or one guy might go shooting out on his own and just loses his concentration. And that's when the ball and team will kind of go, right, now we've got gaps and now they start to cut through them. Mm. So it's just different ways and, and they go through trends. So you know what I mean? That was the trend for the last couple of years. It will go back to people going around the corner instead of having pods set up across the pitch, kind of which was yeah. a trendy thing for the last while. On the... Irish involvement so far um, who has who's done well and who has well not done as great as we hoped Um, I'd say of the starting team I think they've all done really well I think uh, Furlong has been excellent carried well yesterday scrummaged well Um, who else we got then we had O'Brien I thought had a good game as well I'd had heard with it should be coming up in about the next 10 minutes he's walking into a sighting commission oh he got here yeah he got cited for a swinging arm um in the match which caused i can't remember the guy's name i think it was one of the big second or one of the big back rows maybe 
or possibly even the centre of uh, New Zealand right. to go down. Uh, basically, a guy got into contact. You might get the video of up of it there. Guy goes into contact. Um, O'Brien comes in as the second man to try and set up a choke tackle. And when his arm is reaching around to grab around the player, yeah. player's already going down and his arm hits him in the side of the head. Right. It looks innocuous enough, but the bang was hard enough that the guy needed a HIA and didn't yeah, come yeah, back yeah. onto the pitch. Okay. So uh, the problem is is that the sighting commissioner is Australian. And he's... Oh, he's clear, so He's clear. He's all right. Nah, nah. His wording <laughs> is not great. Oh, I think, that? Yeah. Uh, let me see. In the 19th minute of the second half, is deemed to have met the threshold for a red card. Ooh, so he's at borderline. He's borderline already. He's got, um, an I think it's two Australians and three, three Australians. Um, I think one of those Australians, Jermaine Langford, I think is a former Munster player, so I don't know if that will stand up <laughs> well to him, being a Leinster lad. Um, but that is on, I think, in the next 10 minutes. I think Sonny Bills has just finished. As soon as his is finished, then um, thing goes in. And obviously, we were just talking about Gatland and his his big calls. How unfortunate to come out with a twenty three altogether was Peter O'Mani. I think he was. I thought like myself and the lads in work now. There'll be a, a lot of WhatsApp banter between the the uh, Leinster and the Munster lads. A lot of times, the Leinster lads will always chuck in his stats you know what i mean doesn't tackle a lot doesn't make a lot of breakdowns never really counts but he does definitely give you something as far as the line out etc um the problem you have there is in those situations and in those big decisions that gatlin has to make he is going to revert back to who he knows best and he knows warburton best and in the same way when it came down to who's he going to pick in the second row he's always going to go with alan win jones as opposed to, do you bring in, do you leave Cruz there? You have a Toje, you have Courtney Law did very well when he came yeah. in yesterday. And you had Henderson had a, probably the game of his life um, on Tuesday. And you were thinking, surely that's Has got him a place yeah. somewhere. But Just on, on, on Warburton and Gatland. If, if Gatland is so definite, that this is the second tour now in a row that Warburton is the captain for uh, the tour. Why did he drop him in the first test? He'd argue that he wasn't fit yet or that he hadn't played well enough. And he did have that option. He won, you know, Omani did deserve that shot. But the problem was Omani didn't do enough in that first test to really stand out. But why drop him first? Because it, it seems, if I'm going to name my captain, my captain is someone who's going to start the game, who mm. is going to be there to lead the team. And he's named him as a captain and then decided, no, I'm not playing him. And then quickly turns his decision around and the next week he is able to play and he is fit enough. It just seems a strange decision. Well, I think when you look, when you look at the, the entire squad going away before it, you would be hard-pressed to pick anybody on that squad that you would guarantee was going to start every game. Connor Murray would have been the closest, I would have thought, of someone who's guaranteed to start yeah. every match. Um and you also had issues with Murray with his shoulder. Right. So you're kind of going, do you go with that? You know, is he enough of a leader or an alpha male in that area at such a young, he's still very, very young, that you're going to say, right, he's our tour captain? Or do you put someone 
kind of like the way you would have a club captain. You know, you might have a Gerrard or you might have somebody else that, you know, that is a, a club captain, but you know he isn't going to start every game. Yeah. But he's there for what he brings to the dressing room and the training field yeah, yeah, and all yeah, that yeah. kind of stuff. And I think that's probably what he was looking at. Okay. Um, I think beforehand people had said, you know, they had called him out on it. And he went, look, he's tour captain. The actual on-the-day captain will yeah. be picked on merit, who I expect. And right. I think that's why he put Palmer in there. Okay, just finally, uh, if you were going to pick your team for next Saturday, uh, is there anywhere that you would change? I know I would. I'd have Vinopolo out of there straight yeah. away. Jack McGrath. And yeah, and, and that, that's, that's, what that's I, the most obvious. That's what I would see. Yeah. Is there any, any other one? Um, or are, are they are they as strong a unit as they possibly can before they kind of slightly dilute the, the the quality if they put others in? Yeah, I again, I I'm not the ma- I'm not the biggest fan of Alan Wayne Jones. Right. I know I know he had a good performance there yesterday, but again, the maximum he's going to give you is a half and maybe ten minutes of the second half, and then he has to come off. He hasn't got the gas. Whereas if you have Laws, Cruz, and then either a Henderson or uh, you've Maro Toje there as well. Three out of those guys, if not all of those guys, can cover a back row as well. Yeah, you know that kind of way. They're both uh, they're all athletic enough. They've all played back row at six, and then they can you know it just gives you that extra little bit in there. Yeah, that yeah. you can say right, we have an athletic, aggressive energetic second row and we're gonna need that we're gonna need to be absolutely busting guts from the the minute go i would say next week well it's going to be an absolutely enthralling exciting and one of those big occasions where you just can't wait for the the game to kick off and the build-up is going to be massive now so it was great that they got the 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 win back again Uh, it doesn't matter how they did it Uh, i still feel my opinion that they're going to be well up against it yeah. uh, as I said 15 versus 15 is a different game altogether New Zealand won't tire as quickly as they probably did uh, the other day but there thanks very much for your time and we will have you in as much as possible or on the line as much as possible to give your knowledge because our knowledge is limited <laughs> <laughs> And welcome back to the big kickoff on Liffey Sound 96.4 FM. Well, it's that time of year again, pre-season. And if you want to compete at the best during any season, you need to commit to pre-season training. But what is the best way to approach and plan your team's pre-season training? Well, on the line, we have Ollie Harrington and Luke Dennison from thinkperformsport.com to talk us through an ideal pre-season schedule and how their website will be able to help you and your team. Ollie and Luke, welcome to the big kickoff. Thank you. Thank you very much. Great. Ollie, how did uh, Think Perform Sport come about and, and what are you about? So basically, we, um, we're four guys uh, from, a, from a football club, uh, a Category 1 academy. Um, this was about a year and a half ago. Yeah. Um, we came together through... Um, uh, another contact, a guy who works um, with a lot of local clubs, um, and he came to us and basically, basically said that there's not enough 
um, support for grassroots football. And when we say support, we mean things like sports science, psychology, uh, sports medicine or physiotherapy, and also like coaching topics or individual bits as well. So the main reason behind it was to try and give people access to that sort of support that uh, the top clubs get, or even all academies across England will have some sort of support. It's just trying to branch that out a little bit further uh, and give it to grassroots. Great. Um, so yeah, that's 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 how it really came about. Um, and it's, it's, it seems to have grown a little bit with the idea, so it's, it's, it seems to be going really well. Great. Uh, can you give us a quick background on each of the coaches that are involved and, and why they're important to your side? Yeah, so, so myself, I'm a, I'm a sports scientist. Um, I, can, I completed my degree at, at Bournemouth University um, alongside Luke, who's also uh, on the podcast today. Um, and then I, we had to do a placement year as part of our degree, which was, at the time, it was uh, a little bit daunting trying to find one. And a year out in work was a little bit always a little bit scary. But uh, we managed to secure one both at a Category 1 football club, which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So we started off working with the under-18s. Um, and then went back to do my final year at, at university. Um, and then on the back of that, um, with the whole category system changing in England, uh, managed to secure a full-time role. Um, and I've been I've been there for five years now. Really? Luke, I don't know if you want to mention mention your, uh, your yeah, involvement. Yeah. I mean, myself, uh, as Ollie said, I, I started my um, university life with Ollie at Bournemouth. Um, I then went on to do a masters in sports psychology at Roehampton and as as Ollie alluded to we, we were really lucky to get some opportunities at, um, at a really well respected football club yeah. um, I've since since moved on from that club um, still working within football um, again a, a category one um, academy um, and just for anyone that that isn't aware of the the category system a category one academy essentially is is the top category of four categories so um there was a whole initiative to categorize all the academies and and um we've essentially been working at at one of you know one of the top academies in the country for a few years now um but i kind of i look after the sports psychology side of things whereas ollie's uh, a sports scientist okay okay and the rest of your team so we've got a guy called jack kerson um, who deals with sports is our sports medicine part of the uh, part of the website. He's um, he's done his uh, degrees in sports therapy and similar to us has done placement years and done work experience um, at several football clubs, uh, non-league football clubs, and then on the back of that managed to secure um, his placement or his his uh, a work placement for a year at the same club, um, and then has also been there ever since. Um, we've got two guys, Paul Hartness. Um, who is in New Zealand. Uh, he's involved in coaching. Um, Lukey? Yeah, So, we, and we've also got um, a guy called Paul, um, who is also a coach. We've got two, um, two coaches uh, working, um, different, different uh, players, both worked across sort of grassroots football, um, and have both been involved with uh, different companies and different organisations for their career. So we've got a really good, uh, diverse experience of, of not only coaching, but as Ollie said, so we've got some different expertise in sports medicine, sports psych, um, and sports science. So we've got quite a well-rounded team of, of guys with lots of years of experience working, you know, on the ground with players. Yeah, yeah, and that's that, that that means it, it sets up well then uh, for the website. 
Um, but if, if you're a your pro team, you know well that you have a full week to work on all aspects of your pre-season. But with an amateur team or, or youth team or, or uh, whatever, you only have two to three times a week. So what do you have to focus on to get their best out of your pre-season for any of those levels? For me, planning, planning is absolutely essential. Um, whether you've got one training session, two, three, four, or training every day of the week, um, planning is going to be absolutely key to your pre-season. Uh, now, that's from things like how long you want the session to be, what you want to involve in that session, um, how long you want each individual drill to be, um, well, how, how intense you want it to be, and then also planning in uh, potential games. Um, now, with that planning, it needs to be progressive, just like anything yeah. to try and improve your fitness. it just got to be progressive, 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 trying to improve each week. Um, now, the way, talking about um, amateur football, yeah. um, I would say, especially with younger kids, try and use the ball as much as possible. Yeah. Um, now, nobody ever likes pre-season. It's got that preconceived idea that it's just running and, and horrible and running till you're, till you're sick and stuff. That doesn't have to be the way. For me, I'd say intensity is key. So even if you're doing a two to three minute burst of, of hard work, yeah. trying to get the ball involved as much as possible, especially if your younger kids is going to really uh, really control their engagement and get, them much, get much more buy-in from the players um, that you're going to want. And also try and make it fun. Um, at the end of the day, you are conditioning, you are trying to work hard, but that doesn't mean that you can't make it fun with little games or little conditioned games or um, little relay races or little sprints or something like that. If you, if you add an element of competition, I think it really, really does improve it and really does help as much as, as, much as possible. Yeah, I think, I, I think the, the idea has come across with everyone now, obviously, uh, and it's, 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 it's simple. You can use the ball and still work hard. But is there, a, yeah, is, is there an element that uh, there's nothing wrong with having a bit of a slog as well, uh, psychologically, that it might no, make you a stronger not. person? No, of course not. Luke, if you, if you want to come in on this bit, mate. Yeah, sorry, could you repeat the question? The line's not great. Okay, uh, if you do your hard work with the football, uh, it, it's been saying that 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 is a good idea to try and get the football out, work hard with the football, and and you, and you can and you can build your fitness that way. But there there isn't anything wrong either with with uh, doing some interval work or hard some hard running uh, as well, placing that in there somewhere, maybe for the psychological point of view to make you mentally stronger. Would that be a case? Yeah, I mean, uh, there's nothing there's nothing wrong with some traditional you know running yeah uh, i think the key with pre-season or one of the keys is to mix it up you know so um no player wants to do the same thing repeatedly whether that's running repeatedly or the same drills with the ball repeatedly you know even the most fun drill can get boring if you do it too much so i think the key is to mix it up keep the players interested um part of pre-season isn't just getting physically right it's getting you know mentally right and it's about looking forward to the season ahead so not you know turning the players off straight away with with boring them or, or doing yeah. you know repeated uh, repetitive drills yeah mix it up and, and try different things i think is the the key uh, I, uh, luke i always feel that a warm-up is like an opportunity to set the tone for the rest of your session so what makes a, a great warm-up like it's a, it's a chance to get them to tune in focus but also have fun absolutely yeah i mean at any level that that's true uh at the the grassroots level it's, it's also true at all the clubs that, that i've been involved with um you know even at, at the the elite level it's about 
having fun, getting the players in the right frame of mind for the game ahead. There's always an element to warm up of, of fun. Um, certainly the clubs that I've been in, involved with, um, it's about setting the tone, getting the standards right, uh, getting players switched on, both mentally and physically. Um, and yeah, just, just getting them ready and, and looking forward to the game ahead, yeah. really. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I've always... one, thing I, one thing I just quickly add on to that, like, for me, with the amount of warm-ups I've taken, uh, I've taken quite a few in, in my time. I think the main thing with a warm-up is it, it try and get it geared to what the session is going to be. Yeah. Um, now, if that's going to be particularly on defending, it might be, for example, you might finish off the warm-up with little sprints to slowing down, as you would as a defender. You would sprint out, jockey, and then close down. Yeah. If you're going to be doing a lot of heading, you obviously want to manipulate your warm-up to try and focus on what the session is going to be that's going to, that's going to come a little bit later on. But like Lukey says, get that, for me, the first sort of five minutes, um, it could just be little things like little keepy-uppies. It could be a little bit of keepy-uppies, could be like little jogs, or could be stuff with the ball to take away from everything they've done at school, everything they've done at work, anything outside to, right, we're going to have a little bit of fun, but then we're going to crack on. And I think that's the best way to try and get players engaged. Yeah. I am... And I think try new things as well. I think um, if any any coaches are listening that want to... You know, they're thinking about how to do their warm-ups. Try new things. See what the players like. You might be surprised at, at what they react to. You know, so don't be, don't stick to your guns. Try new things and see see what works for you. Yeah, well, I think one one of the big sins of uh, a warm-up can be uh, obviously, and you just see it fading out now. But the, the two laps and 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 a, and a quick stretch. But the stretching, the stretching part uh, it would be something that uh, I would look at. I I, I studied uh, neuromuscular therapy. And uh, the stretching thing that I would see still to this day at, at all junior levels and even at the elite junior level, so even under 15s, 16s, and I'll go out and watch teams and they will do their warm-up. And they're not necessarily doing the proper warm-up. They're not necessarily holding uh, stretches for a decent amount of time. Uh, what, what do you have on the site about uh, your, your, your stretching and uh, flexibility sort of ways? So for me, within warm-ups, um, we would focus on, obviously, we, we, we'd start with a pulse raiser. Yeah. And that's obviously increasing the heart rate, increasing muscle temperature, and then we'd go into certain dynamic stretches. So we wouldn't, me personally, I wouldn't necessarily do static stretches as much. Yeah. Um, I would focus more on dynamic stuff. But with regards to them doing it properly, it's all about how you engage with the players. Um, as much as you want them to have fun, it's also a time of, uh, we see it as a time of work. Um, but they're also as a little bit of protection as well. We no. wouldn't want anybody to go into a, a flat-out sprinting session having not warmed up properly. No. Um, so you just need to make sure that each player is focused um, and and really engaging in, in what you're trying to sell, in what you're trying to get them to do. Um, so there's, I mean, on the website we'll we'll, we'll introduce uh, things about how to structure warm-ups, um, potential dynamics, um, but it's also about getting players engaged. Because um, if a player isn't engaged, they're not really going to do something. Just like anybody, if they're if they're not interested in it as such, um, they're not going to put their full their full effort in. But it's also about making sure that the right technique is being is being shown. Um, so yeah, that, that would probably be my, my, uh, yeah. my sort of view on it. On 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 the dynamic and static, uh, what uh, we were taught was uh, with the dynamic. Uh, the reason why we do dynamic is because if you do static before a game, that you start losing uh, percentage of of your power in the muscles. Is that something that uh, has come across at, at the academy level that you've been at? 
Yeah, kind of. I mean, ever since I've been ever since I've been working in an academy, um, with the with the research that I've looked into, it's been dynamic stretching. Um, there's been a lot of counter research about static and dynamic stretching. There's 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 counter arguments for both, but for me, I've I found the best results come from dynamic stretching and going through ranges of motion that you're going to do within the game or putting it past that range of motion within the game so that it's prepared for when it when it happens. Um, so yeah, I, I would. I would avoid static stretching as much in the warm-up, um, especially if it's cold. So as you get towards the cold seasons, you still need to stretch. And if you're getting players stood around in a circle, they're also cooling down at that, that point as well. So if everyone stood in a circle, just pulling off a static stretch, yeah. they're they're not as active as they could be if they were doing a dynamic stretch, say. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, that's not to say as soon as they've done the dynamic, they're ready to go out into the session. I would then do something else um, before we then send them into the actual session. But yeah, um, yeah dynamic dynamic for me would be would be the way forward yeah luke as, as we've have we, as we've talked about before we've all seen you know these kind of images of uh, players bent over backwards coughing up a lung but our teams with limited time available uh is it better or is it still a case that playing matches is the best way to get fit yeah i mean that you can't avoid the fact that that match play has a, has a massive benefit in a pre-season but um, obviously, there's there's some work that needs to be done before uh, before players are are ready to start those matches. There needs to be some base work done to get them to a stage uh, to be able to play matches. But yeah, there's, there's definitely something to be said um, for pre-season matches. Um, I mean, Ollie might be better placed to answer in terms of the physiological benefit of the matches. Yeah. So for me, I mean, like 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 Luke has mentioned, you would never send somebody into a game without having done any work beforehand. Yeah. Um, so you need to have that that steady build up in order to produce, say, a half of football. So you would, for me, it doesn't necessarily have to be for 90 minutes. It can be for a period of time. Um, but you do need that base work um, of fitness, of strength. Strength is a big thing to try and avoid injury. Yeah. But also psychologically as well, I think. I think you need to have gone through a certain amount of fit- fitness work or stuff that they're not going to particularly enjoy. Um, in order to then enjoy the matches because if they feel fit if, if if a player knows that he's done fitness work going into a game he's then going to be physically and psychologically ready to think right i'm ready to actually compete at this level yeah um but as you as you progress throughout pre-season um yeah there's a lot to be said for for playing matches because that's ultimately what you're going to be doing throughout the season is, is, is playing the games you're preparing for the games um so Ollie, if, if yeah if Again, because we're talking about limited time teams who train maybe twice, probably sometimes three times, but maybe tw- mm-hmm. twice a week. How much then should a team put into their tactical or shape work in a preseason uh, compared to their fitness? For me, uh, it's it's obviously a fine balance, but there's no reason why you can't focus on that technical and tactical element while doing certain fitness elements if that yeah, makes sense yeah, yeah so it doesn't have to just be stop start all the time it could be you you're going to run through a passage of play for, for two minutes but you're just going to continue to do it so once the ball's gone out of play there could be another ball back in straight away so you you, you don't really get that they're, they're, they're getting the the repetitions of the the tactical element um but they're also getting the fitness element because it's repetitive it, 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 you keep going for a certain amount of time yeah um I think there is always room for, like we mentioned at the start, I think there is always room for just certain running. So just, just flat out running sprints, uh, uh, repeated sprints. Um, 
but there's no reason why your sessions, even passing drills or, or whatever happens within a session, can't be limited to certain times and then progressed on each week. So you would do, say you do a passing drill, you do it for a certain amount of time and then as they get better at it, right, to improve your fitness now, we're going to go for a little bit longer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, you, now you're getting good at it, we're going to reduce the rest time before we do it again. So there's ways to manipulate it um, while still getting those elements of tacti- t- technical and tactical in there for me. Yeah. Can I just uh, jump in on one, yeah, one thing as well? Um, you mentioned a few times, and, and you're spot on, you're absolutely right, some some clubs uh, do only get you know two, three training sessions a week, but um, it's not the case that that's the only training they could be doing. There's lots of stuff that players uh, can do away from those training sessions, uh, either on their own or you know in, in smaller groups. And what the, if, if you visit the website over the coming weeks, what we'll do is we'll add some ideas for stuff that players can do um, away from training so there's lots of work that can be done and that's physical but also psychological work that players can do to prepare themselves better away from the actual training sessions that's great. Um, you've just answered, so I, you've just answered my next question Luke <laughs> <laughs> but it, so a, it's sort of a, a personal plan can they put personal plans together by you help uh, getting help from your site do you think yeah, yeah. absolutely um, I think uh, and Ollie might, might add this but I think um, Players need to, and this is at all levels of the game, but players need to take a little bit of responsibility. Um, so I know in some cases we're talking about, about young players, but um, I think for certainly as they get older, they need to start taking a bit of responsibility, not to just be told what to do by the coach or whoever's running the team. Um, there's an element of, of taking ownership and thinking, what could I actually do to, to improve myself that I'm not being told to do? Um and that is one way that, that maybe our site could potentially help some players if yeah. they're if they're running out of ideas or they're struggling for ideas. Maybe we'll be able to, to bring some in. Brilliant, brilliant. Um, if anyone knows me, they know the importance that I put on uh, hydration, uh, whether yeah. whether they participate in sport or not. Um, yeah. But your hydration and your nutrition, um, what will you have up in the site on both of those? Well, so for the for, so for the next week, as of tomorrow, we'll, uh, our next article that we're producing uh, is an article on hydration, um, which is, it's, it just explains the importance of it. Like you've mentioned, not just for doing sport, but also for general life. Nutri- hydration is absolutely key, um, especially in, the, in these hot months. Um, you need to make sure that your hydration is spot on. Now for coaches, there's, there's little bits in that, in the article that we've just put out um, on how to structure water breaks, um, on how to try and get as much hydration in, but then also for players on, again, it's, it may sound a little bit, um, a little bit strange, but planning your hydration, mm. um, little things like carrying a water bottle around at all times, or a novel idea would be to get players, especially young players, to just design their own water bottles. So you get a plain water bottle, design it themselves, and then they know that it's theirs, and they can just have it for whenever they come to training or at school, and that's that's the thing it needs to be done not just when you go to training it needs to be done throughout the day and alongside that nutrition is your fuel um it's that old acronym of of, of the car it needs to be fueled correctly um so you need to make sure that before you go out to do a training session um it's fueled in the right way and as well as that it needs to be fueled after so whichever as you've expended energy you need to put it back in um again there's correct ways to to refuel afterwards to recover in order for the next training session or the game um, so hydration and nutrition are, are, are vital points for pre-season for me. Yeah, With I mean, the amount of work that you're going to be expected to do, hydration to, to keep those levels up, 
and then nutrition to, to fuel you. I'm amazed by the amount of people who are dehydrated and don't sort of want to play at the highest level but have no interest in, in, in water. I, can't, I can never understand it. Um, for goalkeepers, this is the, the, the lonely position, but for goalkeepers, I suppose in a pro team, they'll have three other goalkeepers and they'll have a, a goalkeeping coach. But again, we're talking that maybe a, a, a lower level, maybe even a, a elite junior uh, football, that they wouldn't have that. They, how do you incorporate them into the preseason uh, if you don't have those, uh, I suppose, luxuries? So for me, I mean, if, you, if you've got a goalkeeper that's, that's and there isn't a goalkeeping coach and it's one goalkeeper within a team, I don't see why he can't join in potential outfield sessions. Yeah. Um, now that could, he could be uh, a player on the outside or it's only going to improve him. It's only going to make him better with his feet if you want to try and play out from the back. It's only going to help him by, by getting involved in those outfield sessions. But again, making sure that his, his pre-season is gradual as well. So you wouldn't just put him in at the end of a six-week pre-season and say, right, you're going to do however long, you're going to do 10, um, 10 minutes of an, uh, an 11 v 11 outfield because uh, he's not going to be conditioned to do it. Yeah. But there's also things like kicking. So you don't want to do hundreds of kicks in one day, just hundreds of long kicks because, again, that's going to place a lot of stress on the muscles. So, again, it needs to be built up. Again, planning it, and I know we've said it before, but but planning is absolutely crucial for pre-season, whether you're an, on-field, uh, an outfield player or a goalkeeper. It's just planning that and progressing it in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. Luki? Yeah, no, yeah, spot on. You, you said there, made me laugh, the um, the lonely position. You're absolutely right. I, I've always, all the, some of the most interesting players I've worked with have been goalkeepers. Um, I don't understand it myself, but <laughs> it's a really unique position and, and therefore their training needs to be tailored to that. But I just back up what Ollie said. There's no reason why they can't be involved in an outfield session. Um, you know, it's, it's, just important for them to be developing their footwork, um, their tactical understanding, all the other things that outfit players need, they can be doing exactly the same. Yeah. And like you said, it's, it's about a team, and you mentioned it's the lonely position, but you've got 10 outfield players who are all talking, who are all uh, congregating, who are all playing together, working together, yeah. and then you've got a goalkeeper on his own. Yeah. But yeah. a goalkeeper is essentially could be, is, well, he's the last line of defence. So he needs, to be, he needs to be in with his teammates. He needs to be working with his teammates as much as possible yeah. so they get the the most amount of trust with him and he gets the most amount of trust with them. So getting him involved from an early stage is going to improve communication, improve his technical ability, and just improve the all the, the round sort of team dynamic that, you, that you've got. Yeah. Um, Johan Cruyff said, football is a, is a mind game. You play with your brain. And I, I just want to read out a, a conversation uh, with a younger player. Okay, coach. So what's your favourite position? Player, centre midfield. This is a young player. Coach, Interesting. Is that because you see yourself as a good playmaker, player? No, it's because my dad is on one side and my coach is on the other. And sometimes, if I'm in the middle of the pitch, I can't hear either of them. <laughs> so, well, and this is probably for you, Luke. When when people talk about sports psychology, they think about techniques and that can help a performance. But rarely do they think about how uh, their actions and words can affect a player or a child. In, in in this case, what advice can you give to both coaches and parents to give you know players and kids the best chance to perform? To put it really simply, let them play. I think um, you're absolutely spot on. I think a lot of a lot of coaches and a lot of parents and and they completely they mean well, um, they really do. But I've I've unfortunately had you know experience of um, of times when when uh, coaches and parents have been a little bit um, 
overbearing on, on the kids in the sense that the, the kids aren't enjoying it anymore because they feel too much pressure. I, just, I think that's so sad when we're talking about really young players. Yeah. Um, my advice for anyone would be let them play. Um, don't don't add pressure to them. Um, give them advice by all means and talk to them about their football, but just just let them enjoy it. That's ultimately, uh, and this is for grassroots and at the elite level. Yeah. As long as players are enjoying it, they've got a chance of improving. If a player's not enjoying it, they're not going to improve. They're not going to develop. Um, they'll probably fall away from the game. So I think uh, making sure they enjoy it is, is probably the number one. And it sounds a bit cheesy, but it, it really rings true. Yeah. For me, I, I read a book recently, and it was it was it was absolutely fascinating. And I think if you if you're going to chat with kids, let let them lead it. Let them lead and let them talk about it, rather than saying you did this, you did that, you did the other. Let them talk about it in their own time, because they're the ones that are playing it. They're the ones that are enjoying it, and let them come to you. You can prompt by all means. I think prompt questions if they want to talk about it. But if someone's had a bad game, again, let them come to you and let them enjoy it and experience it in their own way. I guess. Yeah. Um, you would, yeah, like Lukey says, I'd really back that up, just, especially at the younger ages. Just let them play, let you them would, enjoy it. That's you, why you're taking them there is to is to enjoy football. So just let them enjoy it. You would see, um, you would see a lot of coaches uh, again, even at, at, at the higher level, who would nearly play the game for the kids or play the game for uh, you know top elite seventeens, eighteens, nineteens, pass the ball, kick the ball, turn back, you know that kind yeah. of thing. It's, I suppose sometimes it's just best to, I suppose, essentially shut up and, and just let them make their own decisions. Yeah, that's the thing. Because if they, if they got to the top level, if hopefully they all, hopefully everyone makes it to the top level. But if they're playing in front of 50, 60, 70,000 people, they're not going to have that person there telling them what to do. And then that's when they're, gonna, they're not, not going to know what to do. They have to learn for themselves. They have to experience it for themselves. And uh, as much as it's, it's never a nice thing to hear or say, but... They have to fail in order to learn how to deal with mistakes and then correct those mistakes. But if they keep getting told and spoon-fed everything, then that's never going to help them, I don't think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, just the last question for you, lads. Uh, does Think uh, Perform Sport also cater for the you know five to ten year olds? So maybe the young academy uh, that is is coming up up to up to seven or eight year olds, and then the under eights, nines, and tens. Yeah, what we're uh, what we're trying to trying to do is cater for for all players in different ways. So the way that we're structuring the site and the way that we're structuring the the, the information we put on there is that it could be applied um, to, to all different ages. So we're trying to make it relevant to everyone. We're not just talking about you know the older ages, we're not just talking about the younger ages. We're going to try and make it universal in that sense. Um, and we'll, we might, uh, in some cases, maybe we'll, we'll add two versions of an article if it's particularly important that it's different for a younger player than an older player but we're certainly not exclusive to a certain age group no that's great okay well listen ollie and luke thanks so much for your time um the the site is uh, thinkperformsport.com and i hope and i wish you all the best uh, with your future thank you very much we thanks. really appreciate it cheers thanks, thanks very much time. lads thanks for your time mate cheers thank you you're listening to Liffy Sound, www.liffysoundfm.ie. Listen online, community radio at its best.
New balls, please. Yes, it's that time of year again where Wimbledon kicks off tomorrow with uh, all our stra- strawberries and cream. Shannon, is it Hemman Hill or Murray Mound? Uh, don't really get it. <laughs> <tell> the truth. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Wimbledon, listen, it's two weeks of the year where we all go tennis crazy. And back in the day, obviously, back in Arthur Griffith, we had the perfect lines on the road. So we had the, the perfect four quarters. But you went a little bit more extravagant over your way in Dosworth, didn't you? Yeah, um, we had the, we got the lawnmowers out in, in the, <laughs> we call it the plots. It's a, it's a big green. Yeah. And uh, we used to get the lawnmowers out. So we used to do all the lines out in the lawnmowers. But the grass in the middle of the cook used to be long grass nearly. So, you know, you wouldn't get the great bounce. Yeah. So you'd be nearly hitting to hit the edge of the line. Sort of thing. <laughs> but uh, yeah, then I think we would take, uh, borrow, borrow. The, yeah. uh, they used to do road works up the road and we used to borrow their kind of, you know, that kind of, it was orange sort of I do. gate size. Yeah, yeah, I know. Wrap kind of netting, yeah. Netting sort of thing. So, so obviously that was the net. That was our net, yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. And uh, as you said, before uh, two weeks of Wimbledon and at the end of it then you were probably sick of it. Then you don't find your tennis racket for another 50 no, weeks. No, no, you never play it again. It's brilliant. Yeah, it's like at Christmas the darts come out when the world champion, like everything and then, oh, let's all go down to Raps. Well, though, we can't go down there anymore when the snooker's on. It's brilliant though, but like, Obviously, for me, I'm going to rob one because we both had the same one, but Pat Cash was a massive memory. Like the check headband and then when he won, he goes up into the crowd. He was the first. I think it was for, one of the first memories of, of, yeah. of uh, Wimbledon for me. Yeah. Um, and it was the first that many people have emulated uh, yeah, celebration. Yeah, and Nadal. Uh, they've all done it at, at yeah, some point. So they've all gone up in there. But he was the first one to start climbing up. So it was the, the, the everyone else did the thing of, yeah. of climbing up. But uh, that was his one and only time, I think, wasn't it? I was his one and only, yeah. Yeah. So, and he would be, uh, who was it? Lendl. 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 Yeah, because I thought it was Lendl with the other. Because obviously, one of our other memories was Becker, 17 year old German, came out of nowhere, played real exciting brand of tennis and kind of broke the mold. Because a lot of them, like it, Lendl was the dominant force back then, and Mats Velander, and even Stefan Eber, they were very much more mechanic, real good technicians. But then yeah. he came with this kind of exciting Which bendy is, serve, and yeah, he used and to bend his back right back before, a big, huge serve, I remember. And it was his, it was his, his youth and yeah. energy that he yeah. had that everyone was like, oh, who's this fella? And he was, and he was German. He was German. <laughs> he, he was the first German to, to win a, a Grand Slam, I think. And he was the first unseeded player yeah. to win a Grand Slam. So he, literally, as you said, he came out of absolutely yeah. nowhere, which was, it was a breath of fresh air. Yeah, yeah. Um, Serena and Venus, obviously, you can't talk about Wimbledon if you don't oh, talk yeah. about Serena and Venus. We've obviously mentioned already, Serena uh, is currently with child, so she's out for a while. Yeah. And, and Venus is preparations are gone completely out of what window. is the exact story there um she was in a crash about a month ago which unfortunately caused a fatality with uh, a passenger on the in the other car and um, it looks like according to the report it wasn't necessarily her fault she shouldn't have maybe come into something about oncoming traffic she had the she was only going something like five mile an hour but it sounds a bit like the way you'd have the yellow box over here she might she probably shouldn't have come into it but at the same time they crashed it but anyway, poor, uh, I think he's 72, 73 years of age, man. He died about two weeks later. So there's a lawsuit. Um, they're saying she's kind of been cited for potentially her fault, but it's up in the air. But uh, it's that's gonna, got to ruin your preparations. Got, yeah, anyway. um, you're, you're not going to be in the right mindset, yeah. are you? Yeah, no. it's got to shake you. But they um, they first uh, played each other in 2002 in the final, um, which Serena won in two sets. Mm. But they played four Wimbledon finals against each other. What score? What score uh, overall? If they if you're would it be four nil Serena, it would be three one. Three one, yeah. Because I know Venus Serena. came on the scene first, mm-hmm. and she very much bullied the little sister for a while. But then slowly but surely, once Serena came, kind of 
I don't know what the right word is. Once she kind of maybe even fully grown because they were quite young. Yeah. Once she hit, but you could see she was uh, slightly bigger and stronger, and she's bulldozed her ever since. Yeah. Now I know Venus does have issues, like she has certain uh, conditions and stuff where she does sugar. I think it's Sjogren's syndrome. The only reason why I know that because my mum has it. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so it does cause problems. Yeah. So she kind of yeah. has to take a long time out and then come in and out and come in and out. Yeah. So that's hampered her. Big yeah. Time, so it's it? not just down to Serena. It's just so much better. It's there, there's other underlying issues. Yeah. Yeah. But the women's section is wide open again this year. I'd let you kind of pronounce a few names there. Uh, well, Jesus, <laughs> this is that, that's that, that's the thing. We got. I'll, I'll just got. I'll give you the. There's there's odds for for the yeah, the, the men's the best way and to the do females, it. but. Uh, who do you think is favourite for the, the, the men's title? Um, I Well, Djokovic won at the weekend in Eastbourne, so I'd say he's there or thereabouts. Obviously, Nadal has kind of been back. It's a toss-up between the forward, but maybe... See, Murdy with the injury shouldn't be, but you never know. It does tend to go on what people are backing, so maybe people are still backing Murdy. Would he be a yeah, sneaky favourite? Toward, toward favourite, 5-1. Right, it's, it's on form. Uh, Roger Federer. Federer, yeah. Favourite, at 9-4. Nadal, 9-2. Well, he, I think two. he pulled out of... The French Open was he in the French Open? I'm as I said, it's kind of recollection. He pulled out a certain tournament in order to be ready for, for Wimbledon, so he's priming himself. For, and then obviously Djokovic looks like he's coming back to form, and Nadal is obviously showing form. So it, yeah. it could be a classic where they're they're wide open again. Yeah, and I think Nadal is bang on form again. Yeah, so. exactly. So uh, it could be interesting. An outsider, your man Bravrinka. He's Obviously, yeah, thirty-three to one outside. Yeah. That's and these guys price. aren't necessarily at the peak of their game. So th- there's every chance some of these other guys. Chilich has been floating around lately, I know, and a few others. So there's plenty to come. And w- Wimbledon, if you're a big server, you've always got a shot. And there's plenty of them yeah, in the yeah. men's game. I just said the women's uh, or ladies yeah. uh, section is a little tighter. Uh, you've got Kvitova, who is five to one. Yeah, with, she's back. Yeah. With Pliskova. And then listen, there's a there's a whole host, Plethora, yeah, there's a imagine. whole host of them. Then from from well, twelve to one to, to twenty to one that that you know have the outside exactly. chance. Exactly. And it only takes and it only takes the the, the the top two that we just mentioned yeah. there to have a bad day, and then all of a sudden anyone yeah. can win. And Kvitova you know? is only back now. It looks like she's in good form anyway, but she is only back after she was it. She got stabbed in her hand when she was That's she right, was burgled. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. But she's, and uh, she's come back. won at the weekend in, in Eastbourne, so she's got form and grass at the moment. So she's come back in good form. So not only that. Oh uh, yeah! Yes, started yesterday. Yesterday, the Tour de France started. Tour de France started yesterday. Lovely, uh, the the Grand Tour as it is. Uh, it's the the one of three, but obviously it's the ultimate one. Where, uh, sorry, oh sorry, and um, basically uh, the it started in Dusseldorf yesterday. They do a bit of a tour, kind of every other year, where they bring it to other countries. Obviously, we had it here, I think, in the late nineties or That's something. That's right, yeah. And obviously, England. It's been it's been mostly obviously around Europe. You can't go too far, but it's in Dusseldorf yesterday, and they set it up for the local Tony Martin, who was a bit of a time trial specialist, and he came up short. Uh, horrendous conditions, plenty of rain, and a couple of guys who crashed out. Unfortunately, one of them being Nicholas Roach, Stephen's son, yeah. who is a good, solid guy. He probably had ambitions up until a year or two ago of being kind of a lead rider, but unfortunately, he's just a little bit shy. Of it, so he'd be kind of a good setup man for these guys. Um, it's a French name. Who so I is that? That's nearly technically his Tour de France over now. Well, it? yeah, he managed to finish, but I couldn't get the time, so he could be way off because he could have got treatment. But he finished, so he's still technically in the race. So I'd say he's going to be more a team player. Now, of course, if you win a stage in the Tour de France, it's oh, a badge of honor. So you, absolutely, they, they don't just drop out. And I'm sure money is a big part of it as well in their contract. I'm sure there's big bonuses and stuff like that for for stage wins because like uh, Wales have their first ever yellow jersey holder in Geraint Thomas of Team Sky yesterday. No, I didn't see this, but you were saying that the... It was just, it was the inner child in them, the yeah. dream of holding on to the yellow jersey. Like, it was a simple 10 or 11k time trial yesterday, but 
afterwards when it was Froome just came up short he was the very last it was it's a bit like you know in the in, in skiing where the person's in the lead is at the bottom of the hill watching it and then they replace yeah, yeah, him yeah. that's where he that's what he was doing and slowly but surely they were dwindling down because it was horrendous conditions plenty of water on the road so because there was a few crashes a lot of them were just I don't care anymore I just want to finish no crash yeah so now he's still a great rider anyway this this guy so he did a great time but uh, just the sheer joy when he realised he won the stage and he, he got his hands on that yellow jersey like it was real like no, nobody can take this away from me now it's it, it's incredible box ticking moment for him and it won, like like us all we have that dream of FA Cup finals and Wembley where his was probably obviously yellow jersey and he managed to get his hand and he could see it in his face it was brilliant at the moment he won't forget oh 100% now, when we look back at the Tour de France, obviously we yeah, have yeah. our moments. Uh, Sean Kelly obviously had had great moments winning plenty of green jerseys yeah, in, yeah. In, in, the, in the Tour de France. But uh, Stephen Roach's uh, climb to fame in 1987, yes. I believe, yeah. where he won everything nearly that was in front of yeah, him. Yeah, he won the World Championship that year. He doing great I think double. he won the Giro d'Italia as well. Yeah. Um, but the Tour de France, uh, well, that was one of... and we, We're going we're gonna to go just through a clip and I'll just b- build up the, yeah, the, the clip for you. But uh, what kind of way it, it set itself up was uh, Stephen Roach and Pedro Delgado uh, were basically the two leaders on the overall, overall standings. Mm-hmm. Uh, in this race, in, in, in this stage, is, is Le Plange, I think, Le, is it? Le, Le Plan, Le Plan, Le Plan whatever. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> yeah, our French it's the mountain that finished up. And it's close to the end of the mountain that finishes. So yeah. w- what Delgado knew, because he, he was an expert in the yeah, mountain. Yeah, he was a climber, yeah. That he he needed to get a gap because of the few stages that were left. He knew that Roach would probably blow him away mm-hmm. on the flat, so he had opened up uh, a minute and a half gap on Stephen Roach on this final uh, state or this final stage in the mountains. And with the way technology was then, there wasn't too many <laughs> cameras around no. or, or, or anything like that. But what, where we where we join up on on. The, the video clip is uh, Laurent Fignon has uh, beaten Fuertes from Spain in a in a, re- a sprint finish to come first and second. Fab, uh, Fabrio Parra has come in toward, and you'll hear probably Fabrio Parra coming in toward then. But then they take it up with uh, Delgado Should co- be co- next. coming in for fourth. Yeah. And Stephen Roach is seemingly gone. Gone. Yeah, because the camera is literally just on the top of the mountain. Like they, they, they you literally don't know where he is and what's going to happen. No. And, uh, and then, then fun ensues. And this is the commentary. ...come over for fourth place. There's Parrot comes over in third place. 38 seconds, the gap on the corner. Here is the start of the drama of today's stage of the Tour de France. Again, Pedro Delgado has slipped Stephen Roach on the climb. But remember, at one point he had a minute and a half. And just who is that rider coming up behind? Because that looks like Roach. That looks like Stephen Roach. It's Stephen Roach who's come over the line. He almost caught Pedro Delgado. I don't believe it. What a finish by Stephen Roach. We never knew he was that close. Stephen Roach has risen to the occasion so, so well. He almost caught Pedro Delgado on the line. Surely Paul Sherwin. Stephen Roach is now going to win this Tour de France. Well, what an incredible finish by Stephen there. Who could have imagined that coming up uh, coming up those last few kilometres, he must have pulled everything out. He, he let Delgado go at the bottom. Delgado did the same thing yesterday. He attacked and, uh, and cracked towards the top of the climb, and Stephen just paced himself and pulled him back incredibly over the last few kilometres of this climb. Fantastic ride there. Well, I've never ever in my life seen a reaction to a climb like that, and Roach has found strength he never knew he had. 
absolutely brilliant commentary first of all and then further down he's literally collapsed in a heap and everyone's surrounding him giving him oxygen and looks and dead the, in his feet the, the doctor was standing over him mm. and he was massaged in his chest and yeah. he, he had literally now I, I turned around to Adam the other day and he was telling me oh I'm so tired and I said you're not tired <laughs> look at Stephen Roach that is tired <laughs> when you have no energy left you can't stand yeah. you can barely breathe that's that's when you're tired yeah. but that was sensational and that got me very interested in, oh, in this cycling 100 percent. and then when you have a couple of hours because like like getting into certain sports you know you need like we will jump on anything and i'm not giving out here we will jump on anything we'll watch any sport that the irish involved because it's getting us on the map and it's putting us on a world stage and everyone knowing who we are um but we didn't just have him we had sean kelly even martin early and, and kimmage for a couple of years like we had That's some right, serious yeah. riders and it blew up the sport at the time and we had our own i think it was the nissan classic for a couple of years, for right, at least yeah, about 10 yeah, years. Yeah, and yeah. I went through Lucan a few times and up the M4 and everything. And we all got out onto the roads and watched them. And you're I'm, there, I'm, you're I'm there waiting for a couple <laughs> hours next to them. They're gone. gone. Oh, that's it. Like the Tour de France as well. I was up by my aunt's house. Couldn't wait. You see a few cars coming. Oh, they must be coming. Oh, that's it. Gone. So it's not the greatest spectator sport, but it is one of the most admirable without that's a shadow of a doubt. So Three two, weeks. Two, two great, great sporting occasions coming on. Yeah. Wimbledon and Tour de France. Uh, no doubt we'll keep people posted. We'll on keep an eye on it, and I'm sure you'll be watching it too. Absolutely. stretch again this is the final countdown so coming up in september huey fury tyson's cousin is getting a world title shot against new zealand's joseph parker in the mbn arena yeah, I never, yeah. I never he's heard. 22 23 big monster as well uh, they were supposed to fight in march and hit, there was an injury so joseph parker fought some absolute bum there recently that was on sky and now he's getting a shot now in september that's interesting That'd yeah be interesting, might get tyson there uh, back on the road he, I think he trained for a few weeks and then went bleh yeah, uh, he, he's got some serious work to do I think he has and he might struggle yeah absolutely um, jo- uh, Joshua was on last night there was a it wasn't a huge card in the O2 and he's dropping a few hints at my fight Pulev who was his mandatory uh, Klitschko is getting there give or take so he wasn't giving much away but it looks like in the next week or two they're, they're going to announce it or I'm going to tell you now money talks it's Klitschko it has to be because Pulev as much as I don't know everybody in the, the there's little or none top top quality heavyweights I think nowadays for Joshua yeah. so they're going to have to try and push Kle- the Klitschko fight no matter what just yeah. to keep people interested and unfortunately for Joshua there's like he needs the likes of Tyson Fury I suppose and some of these British ones to kind of stay interested in order to get more big fights Yeah, because um there isn't much out there and obviously Deontay Wilder or whoever else is coming on like so hopefully they stay successful just to keep it interesting for him because otherwise he could be very bored yeah. um, obviously I was got a Giles documentary definitely have to give this a tip there's a documentary on Johnny Giles on Monday night he was on Miriam O'Callaghan last night and it's going to be more about Marvis playing days because as he said a lot of these kids see him and they go oh that's the guy from the, the TV Bunda. they didn't realise oh, did you play and he goes yeah I did play a bit and yeah. there's a lot of, he goes over to Leeds and I think there's a guy he's from Asia or somewhere and uh, just the sheer delight of seeing the legend that is Johnny Giles. Like it was a nice, it was a touching moment, and that's on on RT One, I think, around near around tenish on Monday. Right. So yeah. definitely, it's a must watch because we all know about him, how true it is. But oh, he's a great player, but he'd lived the foot in. Yeah, I'm yeah. sick of hearing it. But it's true. He, didn't he knock out someone? 
Oh yeah, and then some. Like what happened? He explained a bit yesterday. He got kind of. I think he'd done his knee ligaments. Somebody went right in over the top on him. He said the pass was gone, and then there was another pass, and then the guy came in and did him. And that's when he said, "Right, I need to look after myself here," because he knows he's small and slight. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. That's when he knew. Yeah, I'm gonna have to toughen up here. And that's where the legend that is, the Johnny Giles, like he's a nice player, but yeah, he'll do it. I think he <laughs> did. A, yeah, he's able to bite. Absolutely. Now, uh, there's a cracking, <laughs> there's a cracking video clip. Uh, the PGA Tour put it up. The European PGA Tour of a woman who thought she was getting a lovely souvenir at the French Open of a golf club in the lake, and Tyrrell Hatton yes. and I think Thomas Peters are on the green looking at her. And she has the trousers rolled up and she's leaning across and it looks like she's going to go in and Tyrrell Hatton's squeezing the eyes, kind of going, uh-oh, uh-oh. And she eventually grabs the, the grip of the club and then it comes up and it's, it's a broken, broken. club. <laughs> and the lads are literally well, around. Yeah. I actually only seen the clip, I didn't see the sound. I, yeah. I thought it was one of the caddies who went in. But it's so did I. And then it turns out it was a fan who just no seen the top way. of the grip and thinking, oh, happy days, I'll get myself a souvenir. Oh, and oh, no. she nearly destroyed herself. Um... What else we got? Oh, yeah, and speaking of the uh, uh, French Open, uh, Thomas Peters, the Belgian, who was obviously a big star in the Ryder Cup last yeah. year, it's, uh, put one in on the ninth. Uh, they changed the tee box, so the water was in play. He drove it into it, and there uh, was none best plays, and had to play the back nine without his driver as he broke it. So uh, he said it was, he only put it in slightly more than he usually would in the bag. Right. But uh, you can't see the footage, but you can just see eventually he's picking up the club and it's hanging and it breaks off, so... He still, he was one over at the time for the day, and he still uh, shot a 67 or 68. He's only one off the lead. The, so the, the way they drive with their exactly, three exactly. Um, Kilkenny beat Limerick last night in the qualifiers. It's very strange looking at Kilkenny playing in the back door at this stage, but they only won by three points, so they mightn't quite have the same yeah uh, luster as they usually have. Uh, Mayo were pretty dramatic last night in extra time with Derry. It was looking done and dusted. They were, and they were nearly gone yeah, with, with a couple of minutes to go. And, and in fairness, there was two goals that turned it then, wasn't it? Mayo got a goal and a point or something like that. And I think uh, Derry got a point or a goal in the very last kick of the game. Absolutely. Um, a big shout out, obviously, to our homegrown fo- uh, football team. Uh, two cracking wins for Rovers and Cork City away from home in Europe on Thursday night. Um, Stjarnan of Iceland, I think, Rovers yeah, bet 1-0. Yeah, and then Lavadia Tallinn. That's America. it. Yeah. So hopefully they, they finish the job off. Obviously Derry had an unfortunate 6-1 defeat to Midtjylland. But in fairness, they only... it Was it this year when United won the Europa? Yes. They ran them close. Yep. So they were probably the best team in the draw at the time. So unfortunately Derry met them. And it, it was probably wasn't as bad as that. And Midtjylland maybe had one of them perfect days. But I'd let them away with it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, any transfer rumours we always throw it in. There's Who's Neymar going to? Arsenal are <laughs> Neymar, yeah. Newcastle are at the moment in the lead for Joe Hart. I don't, yeah, well, I mean, there's nowhere else for him to go. Arsenal, allegedly, because it's a massive allegedly, because this is Arsene Wenger, are willing to pay up to 125 million for young Kylian Mbappe. Well, that's all to be seen. And, and again, it's all rumours at the moment. Less than one side is a dotted line. Exactly. I mean, and like we said a million times before, it probably will take that one transfer and all the others then fall yeah. into place. So yeah, yeah. It's, it must be coming soon. One moves, the others fall into place, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So that's it. So that's it for today. Uh, good show, I think. Yeah, big um, thanks to Darren for coming in and helping us out with the lines. Yeah, and he's been brilliant for us. And yeah. uh, we, we might get his take on the overall thing uh, yeah. next week or the week after. Um, we'll be back next week. Yeah, uh, get the lawnmowers out now, shall we? Get the lawnmowers out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or the bike, pump up the tires. There's no roadworks around, so I don't know what we're going to do for the <laughs> to, net. To borrow. Uh, we are going to finish off uh, with a little bit of Irish and a little bit of Luke and, and we will see you next week. Take it easy. Stay, stay safe, guys. I had to say goodbye. I had to set you free.
looking so innocent, pretty as 